You are now entering the Nintendo Power Zone. Now you're podcasting with power. We are a video cash slash podcast dedicated to bringing you the best Nintendo Switch related news topics. Guys, as always, I'm your host, Nice1983. And I'm your co-host, Mario After Party. Guys, it's been about two weeks since the Switch came out. We're actually starting week three, and we've had a lot of time to just play with the Switch, really get to know it. And what we're going to do today is going to be fun. We're going to start with the news. We're going to break it down. Then we're going to go ahead and move into our games analysis. And from there, we're just going to go ahead and we're going to talk all about our experience with the Switch. So it's going to be a good episode. It's going to be a bigger episode. So I'm ready, man. How about you? Hell yeah. All right. So we got a couple of big news stories. Uh, Let's start it off with the biggest one. Nintendo Switch sales, bro. Yeah, so they've sold 1.5 million worldwide and they are projected to sell... 2 million switches by the end of the month, which is just, they knocked it out of the park. I mean, it's a huge hit for them. And because of that, Nintendo is going to double their switch production from 8 million to 16 million for the calendar year. Now it doesn't mean that they're expecting to sell 16 million, but they want to have them ready because they think that, they're going to sell a lot more than 8 million now. Um, and to double your estimate is a big deal. And normally I am not an, I told you so kind of person, but to all the haters and all the doubters and all of you who fucking shit all over the switch and poo pooed it and said it wasn't going to be successful. I told you so. Yeah. Um, it is very interesting. So guys, if you want to go back a little bit, I don't remember the exact date, but they did initially say they were going to ship 2 million Wii U, I'm sorry, 2 million Switches worldwide. The fact that in two weeks they sold 1.5 million and now the retailers are starting to get their second shipment, which should be uh, the remaining the remaining units of that 2 million. It's awesome that they're doubling their production and it looks like Nintendo's projections were on point. This is something we're not used to seeing because lately when it comes to Nintendo, the thing that you can almost like guarantee is that they don't have enough of something. You never have enough Amiibos. They never had enough NES classics and, you know, they just kept falling short to see their projections actually be fairly accurate. That was a nice, that was a nice, uh, nice way to start. I mean, I didn't have any trouble securing my switch and I ended up finding your switch relatively easy as well. I literally just walked into a target and they still had one left. So when I picked up yours, I didn't have any issues, but had I gotten to, you know, the retailers later, I might've had issues trying to find another switch, but the projections were pretty accurate. And, you know, everybody seems to be, I mean, there are, there are still a few naysayers and doubters, but everybody still seems to be pretty in love with the switch. And I, it has a lot to do with breath of the wild needless to say oh yeah definitely breath of the wild 
uh, has carried the switch and it has been, you know, for every, for everyone that's played it, you already know that it's a pretty special game. It's amazing. It's lived up to the hype, probably exceeded um, a lot of people's expectations, even with the hype. So, uh, and we'll, we'll get into that later, later on in the show, but, um, but you're right, you know, Nintendo has had a lot of negative press because they haven't been able to meet the demand for a lot of their products with the switch obviously there are some people who are still searching for one but like we've talked about in previous episodes if if you can't meet all of the demand that's okay because you nintendo does have to kind of create that um create the demand by by making it more seem more desirable like well it's hard to get but you still have to meet a certain percentage of the demand and i i think that they've been really successful in balancing that because i think that probably 80 to 90 percent of the people who wanted a switch were able to get one and now that there's still some people out there searching for it but i honestly think because of the success of the launch that there were there are a lot of people who weren't considering getting a switch that probably want one now you know what and to go even further Nintendo's marketing campaign for this console has been, it's brilliant. First off, they showcase, there, there are like 10 different commercials airing on TV right now. And I've seen most of them. Um, so their marketing, it's really aggressive. I've been watching lots of different TV. I saw one during The Walking Dead last night. They had a Switch commercial. I saw one watching, you know, Adult Swim. And so their 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 advertising uh, is running the scope. I saw one during you know I was watching Ninja Turtles on Sunday. They had a Switch commercial during Ninja Turtles. So the way they're marketing is, it's they're marketing to everyone. They're marketing towards children during the day, and then they're marketing towards adults at night during the prime time. They're they've always had aggressive marketing. It goes back to them appearing on the Jimmy Fallon show. They keep showcasing the Switch in a manner that makes it appeal to everyone, which is something they completely failed to do with the Wii U. The Wii U's marketing was so damn shitty. And this this console does not have the same kind of pitfalls when it comes to marketing. That being said, it also doesn't carry the stigma of the Wii name. So that's a, that's really cool. So I'm glad to see that they've been marking it aggressively. And because of that aggressive marketing, it's actually made that demand that you were speaking about earlier. I think it's actually increased the demand because now people are seeing this during the shows that they're watching, the shows that they like. And, you know, the more likely, the more likely they are to see the ad during a show that they like, the more interested they're going to be in the product that they're sitting there actually watching the commercial. So. I agree. Their, their marketing campaign has, has been virtually perfect. Um, But Unless you have anything more to say on that, uh, our next news story is something that I know you've been interested in for quite quite some time now, and it's finally here. Super Mario Run is finally coming to the Android platform, and this is something I have been anticipating since December when you know iPhone users got to play with this game. It totally sucks that there was such a long wait. I know they had exclusivity with Apple, but man... That is one of the longest waits I have ever seen between one platform 
to another. And it's, it sucks, but I'm glad it's here because I'm finally going to get a chance to play it the way that I want. I did download it for iPad, but that's too big of a screen to play that game on. And it wasn't optimal. It's going to be a lot better to be able to put it on my phone and play it on the go anywhere I go. Especially since, you know, my phone isn't too cumbersome. And there's also a big update coming out for it. They're adding a couple of things. I think the most notable thing that they're adding are multicolored Yoshis. It's a very similar strategy to what they did in Mario Kart with the Mario Kart DLC, where they added a bunch of Yoshi colors if you got the, the dual DLC pack. So that's very cool. Not a, it's, it's kind of an aesthetic thing because it's definitely not going to change the play style for that specific character. But Yoshi's one of those characters that people like to see in multiple colors. So, you know, I'm about it. I'm glad it's finally coming. Um, this is going to tie into something we're going to talk about a little bit later. So we'll, we're going to retouch on this in a few minutes. But I guess we should move on to the next story, unless you have anything to add to the Super Mario run. No, go ahead. All right. So, guys, PSA, the Splatoon 2 test fire is this weekend. Uh, after party, did you have the schedule for that? Yes, I do. Uh, remember that this weekend, the test fire is going to be from Friday to Sunday. So on Friday, the U.S. time is going to be from noon to one o'clock in the afternoon, but that's Pacific time. So if you're on the East Coast, you you might be able to squeeze that in because kids are getting out of school, um, you know, around that time because it'll be uh, about three three to four o'clock. Um, on Friday, that's when it's going to start. So, but if you're on the West Coast, it's pretty inconvenient because most people are still at work and or in school. But the second time on Friday is going to be from eight to nine o'clock at night, and that's once again it's Pacific time. So adjust that to your time zone. And then on Saturday, it's uh, from four to five in the morning. <laughs> uh, but once again, like you know, for for us, that's that's not um, not so bad. Too- I mean, it's it's from seven to eight in the morning. Not that I'll be up that early on a Saturday, but uh, and then from noon to one, eight to nine, and then Sunday there's only one time, and it's going to be from four to five. So they're they're one hour blocks, which you know I, I I know that once I get into the game, having only played it for an hour, like that's that's probably going to be right around the time I'm getting the hang of it, and then it's going to end and I'm going to have to wait for the next test fire time. And I'm going to be like, no, but. Well, there's a reason um, for this. There's a reason for this. The reason for the hour blocks is because every region will be playing it at a different time. So here in the U S those are the U S times. But if you look at the Japanese times, they're filling in the other out, you know, the other blocks. And that goes for every part of the world. So every region will get a chance to play, but, Basically, this is region-free Splatoon or region-locked Splatoon. So we'll only be playing with, with our players in the in the Americas. So we won't. Right. Be- it's kind of like Splatfest. Exactly. So I'm excited, man. I might be up at 7 o'clock just to play me some Splatoon. Yeah, you know what? Depending on uh, how, how much fun I have Friday night playing this, um, God, I, I might actually wake up before noon on a Saturday just to play this game. Cause I'm so excited uh, for this game. I really, it, it's been the game that I've been anticipating the most, even more than breath of the wild. And 
just the chance to even get a taste of it. I'm super excited. Um, and I'm going to be over at Nice One's place. And me, Nice One, Dripping Ink, we're all going to get together. And we are going to just have a blast. Oh, my God. I can't wait. So I know there's a few things that I hope are going to be functional day one. I really hope that that capture button is going to work with Splatoon. Because you can't use the capture button in the eShop, by the way. Just a little piece of advice. You, can't, you cannot take screenshots within the eShop. But... I'm really hoping that it's open for the test fire so I can at least take screenshots of my gameplay, especially if I get a couple good kills or I get splattered real good. I want to be able to take those screenshots. It's going to be a lot of fun. I'm definitely excited to try Splatoon in handheld mode and see how that feels. I want to try every control scheme I possibly can. And for those who have issues or are concerned about the control scheme, if you go into the Switch's eShop right now, I'm sorry, not the eShop, the news section, they have a breakdown of the control scheme right there in the news section of the Switch news. So that's pretty damn cool. Uh, and today they also announced the stages for uh, the test fire. And that's the Reef and Muscle Forge Fitness slash Barnacle Sports Club. These stages, they're brand new and there's something a little familiar about them. If you look at them, one of them, they actually kind of look very similar to the stages that were available during the original test fire for Splatoon 1. But I'm really excited, man, that that one stage, the uh, the Barnacle Sports Club looks, uh, it looks awesome with the rock climbing wall and all that cool stuff there. I am excited to play this game. I, I'm really excited to try out all the, the new weapon sets. I want to get my hands on the Splat Dooleys. So excited for splatoon 2 test oh yeah just to use a little splatoon lingo this game looks fresh oh yeah absolutely anything else to add on this man because i'm just too excited but i know we could talk about this all day but nice one thankfully informed me that there were two new arms trailers released today which i didn't even know about so i literally just watched them like 20 minutes ago we've got a character overview and a weapons showcase, which I was really excited when I watched the weapons showcase, just because not only are they they uh, talking about the different types of gloves that you can equip, but at the end of the trailer, they let you know that oh, by the way, you can equip you can equip a different glove for each arm, yeah, for each I'm, each hand. Yeah, and that's so cool. This game, this game reminds me of Splatoon when the first Splatoon was first announced. And we, you know, there was a lot of skepticism towards it. I feel like all of that stuff is applying to arms, but I think this, these two trailers today really did a great job in showcasing like the variety of play styles that are going to be available day one. Now, I really hope like Splatoon, they keep adding content. I mean, because they showed off a good number of weapons and the fact that each weapon is, you know, you know, interchangeable and mixable. That's very cool. But for the longevity of this game, I really hope there are more weapon types and more characters to come because although I do like Ninjara a lot, that character looks straight out of Naruto, straight out of Naruto. And he looks super badass. Well, and we, we might be getting more weapons and characters when the game is actually released because they usually don't show us everything um, right away. But uh, I was just 
um, I was really interested in, in the, the stage that they showed where they show a ribbon girl trying to hide behind one of the, the walls or the, the pillars. The pillar. and, I was, and, and, and in the previous trailers, when you see the, the characters fighting, they're in an arena more similar to what Pokémon Tournament is where there are no obstacles. But they showed all these uh, pillars, and so it looks like there's going to be obstacles that you can kind of use to your advantage to hide behind or um, kind of plan attacks from, and that along with the different types of gloves that you can use and, and interchange them. It looks like this game is going to have a lot of depth to it. I agree. No, and this is this is the thing, man. Like it mechanically, it looked like a good fighting game like it had all the traditional mechanics you would expect from a very major or established fighting game but then it starts adding these little things like weapon types and you know uh obstacles to you know to hide behind or to you you know plan an attack from although i thought was cool was when ribbon girl tried to hide behind the pillar you know the spring man had the boomerang hands attached so he was able to throw like this super cool hook that went around the pillar and still caught ribbon girl right in the face. I was like, Oh snap. I know she was trying to be, she was, she was cheesing and uh, she was trying to hide behind that little pillar. And he was like, no, I got you. Bam. So that, that's what's really cool about this game is it's not about just the characters. Cause now it's about the characters and the weapon types. You have to use the right weapon type. It likes platoon, likes platoon. The types of weapons you use in Splatoon can be dictated by the stages that are available for play. In the, you know, especially when you're playing like rank mode. Now, in this game, this type of stage that is, you know, agreed upon by the two competitors determines what is the best weapon type. Because if there's gonna be, you know, like pillars or other obstacles, you might wanna have at least one of those boomerang hands, or you might wanna have, you know, that toaster or that shocking glove. Lots of cool stuff there. I'm I'm really excited for Arms. The only thing about these two trailers that bum me out is that we still do not have a definitive release date for these games. We just have a launch window. This is something that you know. I know we're we're not even a month with the Switch, but I've already beaten Breath of the Wild, so I feel a little empty with my Switch right now. I would like a more definitive you know release date. That way I know when it's coming so I can feel not so bad while I wait for another game. Right, and that's that's true. Um, Nintendo has done a great job of really scheduling these massive uh, first-party titles to come out all within a few months of each other. So the first year for the Switch is going to be stacked, but you still have to have that third-party support to kind of fill some of the gaps so that for, for players who have, like you, gone through Breath of the Wild in like two weeks, which, you know, I honestly think that um, most people out there probably still haven't beaten it, but then I know three people who have a Switch and you and one of the other uh, people, Cause uh, Cosnix, he's, he's beat it too. And, um, so I guess like half of my friends have already beat Breath of the Wild. I am not going to be able to beat Breath of the Wild for quite some time. Uh, but you're right. We do we do got to have a few more games coming out 
And that's where the third party needs to step it up. Yep. All right, guys. Finally, for the news section, uh, last week, Nintendo released a Mario Kart 8 Deluxe overview trailer, which did a really good job of presenting what new features are going to be available in this deluxe version of Mario Kart 8. And to be fair, they spent a majority of the time in battle mode because that's where the biggest additions needed to come from. Uh, If you've played Mario Kart 8 on the Wii U, you know that the battle mode was lackluster to say it was terrible it was it wasn't even a battle mode yeah you couldn't it, really call it that yeah it it, it it was the one thing that was messing up an otherwise perfect mario kart game like mario kart 8 is definitely the best iteration of mario kart as far as the racing is concerned when you're racing it is the best version of mario kart but it took such a it, it took such a huge step backwards in the battle mode that it was it was almost unfathomable to see they could fuck up something that they've gotten right, you know, for seven other games. There are seven other Mario Kart games where the battle mode is flawless, and this one game managed to completely obliterate it. Now, I get why when Mario Kart 8 was coming out, there was a huge need or necessity for games on the Wii U because the Wii U was floundering. It was dying. A lot of games got rushed and you can see where Mario Kart 8 took the hit. The same thing can be applied to Splatoon. Splatoon wasn't supposed to come out when it came out. And I think that's why the DLC strategy uh, was the way that it was for Splatoon. The game wasn't ready, but because they came out with a very excellent DLC strategy. They were able to, you know, make that game gradually better. The same thing did not happen for Mario Kart, unfortunately. Now, Mario Kart 8 has some DLC, but a battle mode was not part of that plans. So, right Now, how do you feel about uh, Mario Kart 8? Are, are you kind of uh, reluctant to have to buy it twice? No, because I feel like I should be, though. I, sh- I feel like I should be, but I, I don't because I, I, I understand. I, I, okay, let me rephrase that. We have said this on a number of occasions. There are certain games that came out on the Wii U that were doomed to fail. Not because they aren't the best versions of those games. Just because the Wii U was a poorly received console. Nobody Nobody got the Wii U because marketing was bad and... You know, it was slightly underpowered and all the things that we talked about in the What's Wrong with the Wii U episode. There are certain games that came out on this console or that console that just did not get their due. Games like Pokemon Tournament, games like Smash 4, games like Splatoon. Like, and Splatoon did well. Splatoon did extraordinary. Splatoon exceeded any and all expectations. But... Splatoon could have done better on a better console. Now, Splatoon is like the one success story in the bunch of games that I just mentioned, but it could have done better because it's a great franchise just put on a console that's kind of doomed to fail. And I say the same about Mario Kart 8. Great game on a doomed console. Now we have the opportunity to play that game again on a new console that 
looks like it's taking off. We talked about it a few minutes ago, 1.5 million sold in less than two weeks. That's a great start. So, you know, they're doubling production, you know, which means that Nintendo actually believes in this console. So getting Mario Kart 8 on the Switch, it's a good thing. So I am not reluctant. I'm actually excited to go ahead and play this game again. Now, the cool thing is, is that everything is unlocked right from the start, except for the, the, the car parts. Your characters are all unlocked. Your modes are all unlocked. The stages are all unlocked. And you have access to the DLC stages. So there is going to be some returning players. And there's going to be a whole wave of new players that did not play on the Wii U, which means the Mario Kart community can be very vast. It can be very vast now. So all that does for me is add some excitement. And because they fixed battle mode and made it the way it's supposed to be, that's my favorite part about Mario Kart. My favorite part about Mario Kart was battle mode. And now that it's the way that it's supposed to be, I am nothing but excited. So I don't feel reluctant. And I don't blame anybody who does because, you know, it is a, yet again, it's going to be a $60 purchase, one that you've already made before. But right now we're in this kind of period where the only real game for the Switch is Breath of the Wild. And a game like Mario Kart 8 can fill in the gap while we wait for games like ARMS and Splatoon 2 and Super Mario Odyssey. The Switch is in need of games, especially first party games. This is a good thing. So guys, that's gonna be it for the news. Uh, let's go ahead and transition on to some of the games that we've had some hands-on times with. So of course, the games we've had the most experience with thus far are Breath of the Wild and 1-2-Switch. But After Party, you just bought Super Bomberman R and I just went ahead and purchased Snipper Clippers. So let's go ahead and I'll talk about Snipper Clippers real quick and then we can go ahead and talk about Super Bomberman R, all right? Yeah, so tell me, is, is Snipper Clippers, is that a game you can play just by yourself? All right, so yeah, you can. Um, let's let me, You can, but it's not the ideal way to play. Because when you're playing as a solo player, you're controlling two characters. Now, I was a little iffy on Snipper Clippers. So what I went ahead and did is I downloaded the demo first, and I played it, and it convinced me. It convinced me to the point where I have to say this. A lot of people complained that 1-2-Switch wasn't, you know, a title that came as a pack-in. And, you know, both you and I disputed that it shouldn't be a pack-in title. We both said it was worth the cost of admission for that game. Now, Snipper Clippers, on the other hand, that should have been the pack-in game because that game is legit. It really showcases the Joy-Cons. It showcases HD Rumble. And it just showcases what it's like to use the Joy-Cons as individual players. And that, to me, is super smart. They did a really good job of being able to showcase how you play with the Joy-Cons sideways. Now, it takes a little bit of getting used to, but once you do, it feels really good. Now, this game... What's What's the premise of the game? So, basically, it's just a huge puzzle game, just essentially kind of like the way Captain Toad worked where you have to just go ahead and solve, you know, the puzzles. You do that. So essentially you're two pieces of paper and for some challenges you have to fill in certain shapes. 
So they want you and your partner to be able to, to make a heart. So what you have to do is position your, your paper into a certain angle so that you can form a shape of a heart and then you cut out the excess paper so that it's a perfect heart. And that's what you do now. Some other challenges are like dunk the basketball. So what you would have to do is cut a piece of the players, the other players to the top of their head so that when the ball drops, it will land in the groove on top of their head. And then from there, you have to use teamwork to be able to dunk the ball. So you would, so the person with the ball would then jump on top of the per, the other player. And then the player who is now on the bottom would have to jump so that the other player can reach the basket. So the, you know, the player with the ball can dunk it in. It's kind of a hard topic to explain, but the premise is really good. And it's definitely one of those games where if you play it with somebody, you will get endless enjoyment out of it because you're going to be laughing because there's going to be a certain amount of disagreements on how to solve a puzzle will go. So because some person, one person might believe that there's one way to solve the puzzle and another person will think it's another way. And then the actual way to solve the puzzle is somewhere in the middle of those two ideas. So it's a very good premise. It should have been the pack-in game. It would have been nice if it came pre-installed on the Switch because I really do think that's the title that has the, that does the best job of showcasing what the Switch really is. Um, so like I said, I played the demo first. I downloaded the game afterwards because I, I love it. I believe in this game. So the next time you come over, I definitely want to get some hands-on time in the two-player mode because I've played the one-player mode and it's it's just not quite as fulfilling. So it's like, again, but that's the that's the other problem that I have with the Switch right now. And I know it's a problem that will go away because we're still in the first two weeks of the Switch. But right now there's a lot of emphasis on multiplayer games. I would like to see a stronger single-player aspect. Yes, I totally agree. And that's something that I didn't realize until I started playing a lot of the launch titles, but these launch titles are focused on multiplayer. And in the case of 1-2-Switch, even though that's a great game, you have to have multiplayer. There is no single-player option for that game, which is actually kind of rare when you think about it. There aren't very many games out there that you, you can purchase, but you can't play by yourself. And 1-2-Switch is uh, pretty unique in that sense. So... When you look at Snipper Clippers, it's kind of like you said. It's it's it seems like you can play it by yourself, but it's geared more towards a two-player game. Yeah, it's much um, more challenging if you're trying to play that game by yourself. So I'm going to go ahead and explain uh, Super Bomberman R because I purchased that game a few days ago. Bomberman is uh, one of the franchises that, when I was growing up, it it was one of my favorite games as a kid. And the multiplayer aspect of it, just all of the, the matches that I would have against my friends, I just have some fond memories of all the, uh, the crazy moments. And so I was pretty excited, uh, maybe just for nostalgia's sake, to pick up uh, Bomberman R. And so far, I haven't been disappointed. Um, the game is a little pricey. It's $50. I feel like maybe... $40 would have been a, a fairer price, but the single player mode is pretty good. Now, of course, Bomberman is a game that is best played with friends. It's, it's a party game 
But so far, I've been enjoying the single-player mode. What surprised me is that it is really hard. I put it on a medium difficulty, and in the very first stage, uh, you get seven lives if you put it on the medium difficulty, which is veteran mode. And you've got to get through the entire world, which I believe in the first world there are eight stages and two bosses. And you've got to get through the whole thing on those seven lives. If you die, then you have to pay in-game coins to continue. And if you choose not to pay it, then you start all the way from the beginning again. Now, the good thing is they, they give you coins. They give you like 1,500 coins right from the get-go. And you earn coins through playing online matches or just through playing single-player matches on, in the story mode. So continuing isn't really a big issue, but the game is not easy. It doesn't hold your hand. Even in the first stage of the first world, it doesn't tell you how to play. Now, Bomberman is a pretty simple concept. You lay a bomb, and then you run away so that you don't blow yourself up, and you try to blow up the other characters or try to blow up obstacles so that you can get the power-ups. Um, I do wish that there was a little bit more of a tutorial because I don't remember what all the power-ups do anymore. It's been so many years since I've played it. There is an online tutorial that you can look through, but um, the, the game is, is not easy. Uh, but like I said, I've, I've enjoyed the single-player mode so far, uh, and I know just from previous Bomberman games, uh, when we play it uh, this weekend, we'll probably have a great time playing the local multiplayer mode. But online multiplayer right now, I, I know there have been some uh, reports that they've fixed some of the latency issues, which have been what people have been criticizing the most about this game. It hasn't really been fixed as of yet. There is a lot of lag online. I went online today and I played a few matches and most of the matches were pretty laggy. And this is not a game that you can be laggy in. The controls in Bomberman, you have to be precise because even in a fighting game, if there's a little bit of lag and you get hit, it's not the end of the match. In Bomberman, if you get hit, it's you're done. It's over. It would be like playing a fighting game where every hit was an Oko. So you, because the controls have to be so precise in this game, it really suffers a lot even when there's a little bit of lag. So I hope that Nintendo fixes some of that because I think most of it is the server. Um, part of it might be that maybe I need to have a, all three bars full for my Wi-Fi connection on the Switch, but... Um, I had two bars today and it was still really laggy. So uh, I think they're, I think they will fix it down the line because they've already made one update to it. And uh, from what I've heard, it, it's gotten better. But as of right now, if you're going to be playing Bomberman, the best experience is probably going to be local multiplayer. The way I remember Bomberman being, I remember Bomberman being like an arcade classic that managed to find some like real success in the consoles after, you know, the whole arcade scene died. Uh, Bomberman 64 being like the pinnacle of that franchise. I am really looking forward to seeing if it can stack up to it. 
the one thing that I do have a concern about with Bomberman R is the uh, the isometric camera versus you know the standard over the top camera that we've had in every other Bomberman game up to this point. Is that really an issue in this game, like the camera angle? So it's not an issue in any of the multiplayer battle modes. It's only an issue in the single player mode because the stages are are pretty large and you move around through multiple platforms. There are obstacles and there are parts of the stage where the isometric viewpoint makes it difficult to see what's going on. Now, I haven't encountered too many problems with it. I think there have been one or two stages I've played so far that have given me some trouble with that camera angle. But for the most part, it's not a big deal. Um, it's it's more of a minor nuisance. All right, true that, true. Okay, well, I'm really looking forward to getting into that game. Um, what other games do we have on the slate? Uh, one, two, switch. So we've both played one, two, switch. I've gotten a little bit more time with one, two, switch. I played with Drip and Eek, my fiance. We actually played at a restaurant. Uh, we were at Chili's, and it was actually a lot of fun to play while we waited for our food. So the more I play 1-2-Switch, the more impressed I am with that game because even though it is very reliant on the fact that you do need multi people, multiple people in the room to play it, when you do have that, you know, you know two or more players, that game is just – it's really brilliant you can have so much fun with this game. And it's, I, I, I'm a little sad that people are overlooking this title because of its multiplayer nature or the fact that it isn't a pack-in. Like, they're very wary of the price point. I admit, the price point does seem high. But if you have more than, you know, two friends, you don't even need more than two friends. If you just have one friend or a family member, like a brother or a sister, this game is worth its weight in gold. It, it's really an amazing game. And it does a great job of showcasing the Joy-Cons. It does a great job of just bringing a lot of fun to the table. Like, I can't wait to bring this game to, like, a party so that I can enjoy it with all the people around me because it is that perfect type of party game that we, we don't have anymore. And, you know, back in the day, we used to gather for party games. Remember... The, the huge success that Wii Sports was. And remember, before the Mario Party franchise got a little stale, remember how much fun games like Mario Party were or games like Mario Kart. This game is like those games where you have a bunch of people in a room fully enjoying themselves. And that's, that's an element in gaming that is starting to dwindle with, you know, the, the more advanced there are in technology, the further and further away we are to playing together. You know, we used to play games in the same room together. And because of things like online gameplay and, you know, online matchmaking, we are no longer, we no longer have to be tied to the same room in order to enjoy a game. And that's kind of a shame because there's nothing more satisfying than beating somebody at any game and then getting to look them in the eye and tell them that you beat them and just have that like, oh, moment. We don't, it's not the same in online games. And it, it's sad because that's an, that's a feeling that comes from the arcades that we got that back in the old school days with the arcades. And we had that 
in the early era of console gaming, but we're losing it now. And once you switch does a great job of giving me that oh moment when I'm playing with my friends. And finally, guys, the game we've had probably the most experience with, The Legend of Zelda Breath of the Wild. I have beaten it. It took me 105 hours to complete. And Mario After Party said it earlier. This game has exceeded all expectations. It's been a long time coming, but it was so very worth the wait. I enjoyed every moment I spent on this game. You know, it everything about it just feels brilliant. This game, it's going to win Game of the Year. And if it doesn't, I don't know what to say because it's, it's literally as close to perfect as a video game could be. There is no such thing as a perfect video game, but this is as close as you could possibly get. The characters are are really, they all feel real in, in this in a way that you care about what happens to them. You want to, you know, save people. You want to really invest time in this world. Um, I've just had so much fun. I like I said, I have never completed a Legend of Zelda game in this in the in the time frame that I did this game. Now, a lot of that has to do with the whole, you know, open world experience, but more of that has to do with the fact that this game is portable because I have 105 hours in this game, which is makes it the longest I've ever played a Zelda game from start to finish. Now, it doesn't take me that long to beat Zelda games, but I usually spread that time out more because of the non-portability factor. Because Breath of the Wild is... 100% portable on the Switch. I got to play this game almost nonstop. I would play it, you know, while we were driving somewhere. I would play it in the comfort of my home. I would play it at, you know, my friends and family's house. I would play it everywhere I went. I never had to stop playing Breath of the Wild, which added to my enjoyment of the game, but it also added, you know, it added to the fact that I could beat this game in two weeks because I didn't have to stop playing other Zelda games and other games in general, like, like for you, Xenoblades, you would have been beat Xenoblade Chronicles had you had the option of portability. So that is a huge factor in my enjoyment. And it's one of the reasons why I think Breath of the Wild is one of the best games ever made. Yeah, I think it is one of the best games I've ever played. Um, I'm not uh, that far into it yet. Uh, if I if I had to guess, I would say that I have probably put in maybe 20 hours into the game so far. But uh, we will get into how to find out your playtime on Switch games a little bit later on in this episode. But for right now, yes, I... Um, I've been enjoying the game a lot. It's it's really it's kind of it's a game that you have to play yourself to really understand how incredible this game is. You just have to get your hands on it because you can watch all of the videos on YouTube and you can read all of the articles online, but you're not going to get it until you experience it yourself. And it's really a special game and you you it's just a game you can get completely lost in because it's breathtaking it's beautiful and it's vast 
and expansive in ways that not very many games I've ever played have been. Um, like the only game I, I can think of off the top of my head that is, is like this, actually I would say two games that um, kind of have that breathtakingly beautiful open world that you kind of just want to explore are, I would say, Shadow of the Colossus and Xenoblade Chronicles X. So this game is, is a really special game and it's just, I, I was exhausted at work today because I stayed up until three in the morning playing it. So that should tell you something because I haven't even been sleeping, but I'm probably, I'm probably not going to do that tonight. But um, yeah, this game is, uh, is pretty amazing. You know, what's interesting to me, really interesting to me is the fact that there are so many different ways of doing something, anything, to be honest, like we were just telling each other stories before we went live today um, about uh, we were, we were just talking about how you tackled something versus how I tackled something, especially in the early goings of the game. Whereas I went and found the worn doublet within the game, you actually had a different approach to entering the snowy mountain field. Yeah. So we're not going to spoil anything. This is literally one of the first things you do in the game. Uh, but in the beginning of the game, you have to go to the four shrines on the Great Plateau before you can leave it and explore the rest of the world. Well, one of the shrines is up on the mountain, and you can't just walk up there without any protective clothing or any sort of elixirs because the, the coal will eventually, um, it, it slowly depletes your health until you die. Well, I didn't know that the old man could give you a jacket to keep you warm so that you wouldn't take any damage uh, going up to this, this mountain. So nice one was smart enough to cook for him. When, when he asked me to cook for him, I, I didn't even at that time in the game, I didn't know how to uh, cook anything in the, I didn't realize you could use the pots. I, I was just throwing everything on the fire and I didn't know what he wanted. So I just ran off. Nice one was smart. He got the jacket. He had a pretty easy time going up to the shrine. Well, I literally just stocked up on chilies. And like every five seconds, I was just eating a chili and then sprinting and eating a chili and sprinting. And then when I had to fight, I would just try to kill, you know, the bokoblins as quickly as possible and then use my all my food to replenish the health that I lost. And it wasn't until I got all the way to almost the top of the mountain when I picked up um, one of the Bokoblin clubs that was on fire. And I realized that if you're holding a torch or if you're holding a club that's on fire, it will keep you warm and prevent you from losing health. But I mean, I literally just ran around the whole stage eating chilies everywhere until I ran out of chilies. And if, and you know that if you don't cook them, they, their effects don't last that long. So it, it really was. And it's funny because, um, your brother, you said, had a, had a different strategy. So there was like all three of us took totally different approaches oh, yeah. to, my, to getting to that shrine. It's hilarious. My brother actually lit a torch and just walked through, you know, the, the snowy field without engaging any enemies. He literally just snuck past 
every enemy holding a torch until he was able to get to the top of that mountain. Now, the thing about that is, is that there are a lot of enemies on the way up that mountain. There are a ton of enemies. I'm like, how did you avoid them all? They would have seen, they would have seen you. But he yeah. managed to get up there. I, I don't know. I mean, it's kind of crazy. We all did it totally differently. You were smart. Um, you got the jacket. I was definitely the little piggy that built his house out of straw. I was like the worst one. <laughs> like the, the running around just eating chilies every five seconds is not, I would not recommend that. Um, it's much better to, to carry a torch or just get the jacket. But uh, yeah. You know what I think about it is it's, it's the willingness to do exploration earlier in the game. So I think the reason that I was able to figure out like the whole get the warm jacket type thing was because I might have done a little bit more exploring than you guys did because I found the old man's house. Oh, I did too. I did too. I, I, I just, at that point in the game, I just didn't get it yet. I didn't understand like the cooking mechanism and you have a lot more experience playing Zelda games than I do. Remember, I'm the guy that almost beat Ocarina of Time without getting Epona. I literally almost beat the entire game without the horse. I, I got to like the very end and, and someone, one of my friends was like, where's Epona? I was like, I don't know. I was like, you, I don't know how to get the horse. He's like, the, you almost beat the game and you've just been running around everywhere without the horse. I was like, yeah. So I probably make my life much more difficult than it needs to be when it comes to Zelda games, but you yeah, are like, so, but the cooking mechanic is new to birth of the wild. So, I mean, that, that's almost no excuse because I had to learn the cooking mechanic just like you did. Well, yeah, but you did say that you uh, just used trial and error to figure out what he wanted. Yeah, that's true. I, because he had a specific recipe that he wanted. And thankfully I did a lot of like, animal hunting early on in the game that's the worst part though the worst part is one of the meats that he wants is located on the other side of the great plateau so you have to get the meat that he wants and then bring it all the way back to his side to his house and then cook it so it took a lot i mean it is what it is it's just a funny story to see how you know different our approaches are to this game Actually, your approach to this game is shocking to me because you told me the first thing you did was die. Oh, yeah. See, I always have to test my limits because I need to know what I can and can't do in this game. So once you, you get out of the Shrine of Resurrection, the game kind of makes you walk out onto the cliff so that it can showcase the beauty and the vastness of, of that really scenic view. And... I got out there and as soon as it let me take control after I got um, to the edge of the cliff, I, I just jumped off and died. That's insane. Like <laughs> the first thing you did was die. But I, I mean, and I was like, well, I need to know if how, how this game works because in Xenoblade Chronicles X, you can't be injured from, from jumping off. A, you could jump a thousand feet and you're not going to die. Um, unless you're over a bottomless pit that you're not, that there, there is no bottom for you to land on, but breath of the wild is a little bit more realistic and link is much more mortal and you do have to take pretty good care of him. So I just, 
yeah, I just jumped off the cliff and killed myself first thing I did. But, um, you know, I have enjoyed this game. So I have gotten much better now that I have, have understood how this game works. And so, um, although God, I, I mean, just the, uh, trying to get the blue flame for the, the, I did that the hard way too. I, I ran out there to the flame with, and then I realized I was supposed to have a torch and I had to go all the way back to the lab. And I don't know, let's just move on because well, it seems that I do not learn from my mistakes. You know what the funny thing about Breath of the Wild is? You ever heard that, uh, that saying? It's a, a very old saying. Once you enter the ocean, you enter the food chain. That's what Breath of the Wild is. When you, when you step out into that world, Everything is trying to kill you. Everything is trying to kill you. And it's literally about how you survive in this world. It's all about survival. How do you survive in a world where you are pretty much isolated for the majority of the game? This is a very big game. And there is a lot of opportunity for isolation. There will be times where you are without a horse or you do not you know, see an NPC or you do not see an enemy. Um, but even then, you're still very exposed because whether, you know, the lightning can kill you or what, something that happened to me, you know, halfway through the game was I was looking, I was hanging by the edge of a cliff, just staring at the edge of the cliff, and I heard a noise. And when I turned, you know, Link around, I was very surprised to see a freaking bear. And I was like, oh, my God. And the bear was charging at me. So I'm literally like, oh my God, even the animals in this game are trying to kill you. This game, this game is very realistic. It's, it is. It's and so, some of the animals you don't even expect. Like I was walking around and one of those rams uh, was standing there. And normally like I would shoot them and kill them but i didn't need any more meat so i was like oh, i'm not gonna kill this innocent little ram and he charged at me and he knocked me over and like almost killed me because i already had a low amount of hearts and then he took off running and i was like you little shit and so of course i chased after him and killed him but i'm like god you got to be careful like even creatures that you don't think can hurt you can hurt you all right. Well, guys, uh, we could go on and on about Breath of the Wild, but we do have some other topics we want to get into. Um, next up, we're going to talk about Nintendo's mobile strategy and how it has played into the Switch's success. But first, we're going to take a little break. We will be right back. Hey, guys, I'm Nice1983. And I'm Mario After Party. And we're the Nintendo Power Zone crew. And guys, if you're a fan of the show, there are tons of ways that you can hit us up. You can go ahead and hit us up on Twitter at nice1983, at MyRafterParty, and our official Twitter at NPowerZone. You can always email us at nice1983 at gmail.com or the afterparty sound at gmail.com. And always hit us up here on YouTube, youtube.com slash users slash the article, T H A A R T I C L E. Or you can just look for Mario After Party and you can hit me up on my YouTube page. We also have a Facebook page. Facebook.com slash Nintendo Power Zone. And don't forget, if you're a fan of the music, you can listen to it at GameChops.com or 
you can look for Game Chops on YouTube and listen to a ton of great video game remixes. So guys, that's all the ways that you can hit us up. So thanks for listening. Stay fresh. And we are back. So one interesting feature about Nintendo's mobile strategy is that they're essentially using their apps as a network base for finding friends on the Switch. If you have Mitomo or Super Mario Run or Fire Emblem Heroes, you can actually search for friends that you were friends with in those games uh, through the Switch. You just have to make sure that your My Nintendo account is, is registered on the Switch and it kind of unlocks all of those features for you. Yeah, that's so interesting, man. I, I love that idea. I love the idea in theory. I really do. Like, actually, that's how you and I are registered. We're registered through Mitomo. Uh, I have other friends that I've done through their friend codes, and I've registered friends with the you know the local area network. But the one that is the most interesting is the mobile strategy. Now, the problem with the mobile strategy is, is that the largest title that Nintendo released via mobile was Super Mario Run. And that was a timed exclusive for iOS, which means that if you're an Android user, which has a larger install base than Apple, people could not use uh, the function to register their friends using Super Mario Run on Android because we didn't have the game and we're not getting the game until uh, this Thursday, the uh, March 23rd. So it would have been nice to have that. It's a great idea to, to link, you know, the game to, you know, the Nintendo account, which means you can register your friends that way. But because it was a timed release, they essentially screwed Android users from their, you know, their friend base. Well, you're right. It's, it is um, a shame that it took them so long to come out with Super Mario Run for the Android, but it's better late than never. Yeah, I agree. But it's still, it's a great idea. It's in theory. As long as there are no more timed releases like Mario Run, this works a lot more flawlessly because it was real easy to, to add you as a friend uh, because of Mitomo. because you and I are, are registered to each other's Mitomo's account. It was super easy to just find you there. It, it had a suggestion. Do you want to be friends with this person? And I went ahead, sent you the request. You accepted it. And it was just that easy and there are a few other people that i've got through fire emblem and uh didn't get a chance to do anything with super mario run just because of that time release so hopefully now you know my friend list will expand on the Wii. uh, uh my my friend list will expand on the switch because we'll be, be i'll be able to play super mario run on my phone so it is a very cool thing though it it, it works flawlessly when it works yeah, I think it's a great idea. I'm glad they added it. The success of how the Nintendo mobile apps interact with the Switch will really just depend on how successful their future games are. Um, one interesting... I was going to say, Go this, this leads me into... Uh, this, but this also leads me into this thought. Is the Switch also a good platform for you know the existing mobile games that they ha- they do have, this is something we discussed before. Not all kids have a mobile phone, so they might not get to experience games like Super Mario Run 
or Fire Emblem Heroes or Mitomo? Is the Switch a good platform for their pre-existing mobile games and any future mobile games that Nintendo releases? I say no. And I know the Switch is portable, but the reason I say no is because you don't want to dumb down the Switch and start including cheap mobile games on it because the games that are on the Switch, you do, you. the reason why the Switch is so successful is because people are associating the quality of a console game all of a sudden being portable. And if you water down that quality by including mobile games on there, then it's kind of going to hurt the, the reputation of the Switch. And I haven't been impressed with Nintendo's mobile apps thus far. I, Super Mario Run didn't do anything to change the game. It didn't do anything to revolutionize uh, endless runners. And I particularly thought it was very overpriced. Fire Emblem Heroes is an RPG game without a story. And the tactical elements of it are decent, but it's not deep enough to really keep me interested. Um, which leaves us with Mitomo, which actually had a lot of great features, but it was more of a social networking app than a game. So I think those kind of apps need to stay on the phone. See, I'm of the different mindset. I don't feel like adding, you know, their mobile library to the switch is not, is necessarily a bad thing. Uh, there is a quality issue. Like these games won't have the same uh, level of quality that they would have, you know, if they were built specifically for the Switch. You know, these games would have a lot more emphasis on things like, you know, control and whatnot. That being said, though, I believe the Switch is the perfect platform for Nintendo's mobile games because of the portability of the Switch, the accessibility of the Switch, and the 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 price point of these games. Now, Mario Run, while it seems expensive as a mobile game, being able to play it on a console like the Switch, the price point then becomes more reasonable. Now, it, it, it with this though, I would expect a few things to be changed, more specifically, making the buttons functional on the Switch, making it so that playing Mario Run isn't about taps, but about button presses. You make you can leave it as an endless runner, but if you add the button functionality, I believe that will, will change a great deal of how the game feels. That's a good point. Um, I agree with you on that. But my problem with the price point is that, um, so for fixed games like Super Mario Run, I think you're right. It, it definitely would... Um, do more to justify it, especially if they uh, improve the controls and maybe added some some exclusive features that you can only get on the Switch or something like that. Uh, but I have a problem with the free-to-play model because I think that is a bad model. It sets a bad example for for games in the industry because part of the reason in, in our mobile episode, I wish I had mentioned this, but part of the reason why mobile gaming has exploded is not necessarily because people are playing those games more than they're playing console games. It's because of the free-to-play model. The free-to-play model means that some players are spending hundreds, maybe even thousands of dollars 
on a single game where you're, you're not getting an experience that justifies that, but because, because it's, it's almost like human nature or, or like some sort of operant conditioning, people are conditioned to like, feel that, well, I'm only spending $5 here or $3 here, or $1 here. And, and it, it adds up over time. And before you realize it, you've spent $70 on Pokemon go. And there, there's the console market needs to remain fixed because when you start adding a free to play games in a console market, you're going to run into a lot of trouble because Nintendo might not abuse that model, but there are a lot of companies that will. And even with Fire Emblem Heroes, I, I just, I, I would not like to see a free-to-play game on a console. And I know your views on the Switch is that it's, or it's not a console. It's, it's portable. But, you know, it is, it is a hybrid. And I just... I want to make sure that that the quality of the games doesn't get cheapened because we have uh, uh, free to play games. I think Nintendo would have to be very careful. And um, I do agree with you though, bringing super Mario run to the switch would probably work um, if they, if they address the points that you brought up. Well, I don't mind the free to play model. I, I mean, I, let me be more specific. I dislike the free to play model as well, but there are certain games that use the free-to-play model that I personally believe can be done well. Um, a game like Pokemon Duel has a, a money cap for how much money you can physically spend per month. Uh, and if Nintendo brings that model to the Switch, well then, yes, you can spend large quantities of money at a time but you know, if there's a limit to what you're spending, it doesn't. It's it's not so bad. Again, it's not the ideal solution, but there are certain games that are that exist within the free-to-play landscape that I believe have a place on a console like the Switch. And another thing, I, another reason I think this is a good idea, Nintendo gets to be selective of what titles are you know appear on the Switch. So when it comes to the free-to-play model. Nintendo isn't like Apple or Android in the sense that those guys let pretty much anything in their store. Nintendo has the ability to, you know, with quality control, say this game makes it and this game doesn't make it, you know. So it really comes down to Nintendo doing some due diligence and, you know, controlling their mobile market or controlling their, their, their digital shop and getting picking the best of the bunch. Like, and this not would, will not only apply to games that they make, but it could also extend into third-party developers. I believe a game like Hearthstone belongs on the Switch. I personally do not play Hearthstone, but I believe that a game like Hearthstone belongs on the Nintendo Switch. It is the perfect platform for that game because it is a console that is both dockable, so you can play from the comfort of your home, but it's also portable, so you can play Hearthstone on the go. Now, I know you can play Hearthstone on the go on your phone, but it would be a lot more accessible on, on a, with the screen size as large as what the Switch brings to the table. So I believe that games like that 
belong on the Switch. It's actually the developer's duty to try to bring a game like that to the Nintendo Switch. I think it would be better for Blizzard to just go ahead and bring Overwatch because that would do a whole lot more to move Switch units than uh, Hearthstone would. Hearthstone is not going to sell Switches. Overwatch is going to sell Switches. Well, it's definitely not going to sell Switches, but the large audience of people that do play Hearthstone, I guarantee you they, if there's any crossover between Hearthstone players and Switch owners, they would love to play that game on the Switch. It's, it's, it's a great game for for this kind of tablet device. Like, That's I, true. I do view the Switch as more portable than home console right now. Okay, that's true. But Hearthstone is like the definition of a cash grab. I mean, it has become even more so of a cash grab lately. I recently uh, tried to get back into Hearthstone after like seven or eight months of not playing it. And the, the last Tavern Brawl, you had to pay for it. And I had never, when I was playing, when I was really into Hearthstone last year, I never had remember having to pay for a Tavern Brawl. Normally, a Tavern Brawl, for those of you who don't know, is just kind of like a, a special um, version of the game where, where they change the rules and they add a twist. And it usually remains for a, about a week. And, and then they, they add a new twist and they change it up. And it's just kind of like an alternate way to play the game, but it's it's not really done for competitive reasons. It's usually done so that you can get prizes. Um, but Hearthstone, it's just it's such a cash grab. Even though the quality of the game is there, definitely it is one of the best mobile games out there because of the model that they use for the free to play. You just can't be competitive in Hearthstone. You can't even be mildly competitive if you don't want to spend any money. You have to spend money in that game. No, and I agree. And that's really, that's that's where Nintendo has to come in and say, we want this game on the Switch. We want it. And that's what Nintendo should be doing. They should, there are certain mobile games that Nintendo should strive to get on the on the Switch. But they have to set caveats. You know, there has to be some kind of, you know, money cap or some kind of special feature that makes the game stand out on the Switch versus on other, you know, pieces of hardware. That Nintendo has to aggressively pursue those games, but they have to make sure that they do it in a way that it doesn't, you know, alienate or or drain people's wallets. So it's a fine line, but I do believe Nintendo could walk that line. So it's 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 literally what they're willing to do. But I do think that certain mobile games have a place. And this, like I said, it's not all of them. Like I don't expect to see a game like Pokemon Go on the Switch. That would be that would be foolish. But I do think a game like Hearthstone and even Pokemon Duel would be a great place. The, the Switch would be a great place for those games to be playable. But uh, I, I, I'm clearly we're of two different minds, and, and that's good. It's good to have this debate here and on the show because, you know, if you and I are having this debate, I'm fairly certain that Nintendo is having this debate internally. So, it it will it's it's something we're going to see in the future. But DNA is technically listed as a developer for the Switch, so it makes me wonder 
if those mobile games will either make a transition or if they're, I mean, because that could be one of two things. They could be making games exclusively for the Switch or they could be working on a way to port the existing mobile games onto the Switch. Yeah, we'll have to see. So another topic that kind of ties into this are the software costs for making a Switch cartridge. Now, Rhyme is coming to the PS4, Xbox One, and PC on May 26th, with a Switch release coming shortly afterward. Although they haven't, I don't think they've confirmed the exact date, but it's going to be soon afterwards. The games will cost $30 for all of the platforms except the Switch, where we'll have to pay $40 to get that game. Now, developer Tequila Works has said that the reason for the $10 price increase is because of development costs but um it and it does cost more money to make a switch cartridge than to manufacture a blu-ray disc um and and this is not an isolated incident with tequila works puyo puyo tetris will also cost ten dollars more on the switch so now one one way that uh people have suggested that maybe uh, developers could overcome this is just to make it cheaper on the eShop. But Nintendo has a policy where you have to charge the same amount or the same price for eShop games as the physical games, so as to not upset the brick and mortar retailers. So my question for you is that, is this going to present a big issue for the Switch because of the higher development costs yes and no yes in the fact that most people who own a nintendo console it's not the primary console within the household it is a secondary console so you know we we exist in a three console market and we have for a while now but you know most people who 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 own a you know any nintendo console they don't make it their primary console like i said so the PS4 will be maybe their primary console or the Xbox One might be the primary console. Uh, what this does is it makes it so that the PS4 version, either digital or retail, it makes it so that that version of the game is more appealing. Um, some people might not care. I own a PS4 and I will still buy Rhyme on my Switch despite the $10 increase. I understand the development costs. Uh, games are expensive to make in general, and there is a certain cost that's going to come with, you know, manufacturing these cartridges. So personally, I will be picking up Rhyme on my Switch because Rhyme is a puzzle game and it's beautiful. And the Switch does what the other companies don't do. We've said this twice now is the, the Switch makes it so that you don't have to stop playing a game. You don't have to stop playing. I'm going to say that. Yeah. You can take this game with you anywhere you go, which again, that's one of those things where the game becomes more valuable on the switch than it does on the PS4 or the Xbox one or PC. Cause you can't really take your computer anywhere and you can't take your PlayStation or your Xbox one anywhere. I mean, but you can definitely take your switch everywhere. So when it comes to that, it, that's the note where, you know, it's, it becomes more valuable to be able to play that game on the Switch. So the development cost and the, you know, the increase in the, in the purchase 
doesn't feel as bad. That is a good point. Um, it does kind of, you do get that portability with the switch that you don't get with the other consoles. Um, and I, I don't know if you read this, but rhyme, I read an article today that was saying that rhyme is supposed to be eight to 10 hours in length. And that's 10 hours. If you hunt for all the Easter eggs in the game and you do everything, if you don't do everything, it's supposed to be eight hours, which I was kind of surprised. Like that's, that, that's a very, um, short game. You know, keeping in line with the production cost, though, one of the things that I've noticed with the Switch, and I brought this up last episode, is that there is no standardized pricing for Switch games. So you bought Bomberman recently. You paid $50 for that game. And I bought Snipper Clips, and I paid $20 for that game. It makes me, you know, and of course, Snipper Clips is a digital-only title, but... I, I am concerned about what this means for uh, Nintendo's market, just because with you know with every game costing slightly different prices, is this something that Nintendo's going to have to like start standardizing sooner rather than later, or is it going to be just based on the quality of a game? Because who you know, I'm, I'm fairly certain that no developer is intentionally going out there trying to make a poor quality game. But, I don't. I don't think it's about the quality. I think it has, part partially it might be, but I think it also has to do with um, the genre of the game and the length of the game. I think that's part of the reason why Rhyme is only going to be thirty dollars for the other platforms is because it's going to take you ten hours to beat it. They they really couldn't justify a, a you can't really justify a fifty dollar price tag on a game that you can beat in eight hours. So the, the good thing about all of these different prices on the switch is that Nintendo is pricing the games, not because they feel they're forced to sell them at an industry standard of $50, but because they're selling them for what they feel they're worth and they're trying to give the customer the best deal. So instead of, selling snipper clippers for $40 or $50 because that's an industry standard. They're like, you know what? We feel this game is worth $20 and we don't want to overcharge the the consumer. Um, Like I said, Bomberman, it's $50. Felt like I I do like the game. Um, I totally think it was, it was worth it, but if I'm being honest, $40 might have been a better price point for that game. But this leads me to the question, who is who who gets to determine the pricing? Is it Nintendo that gets to pick the price point? Uh let's let's say the cartridge always costs 10 bucks. According to what you know Ryan is saying, if the cartridge costs 10 bucks and you have to, you know, recoup the cost of the cartridge, who gets to determine the, the, the price for that game because you're automatically going to have to build in that extra $10. Is that Nintendo's uh, call or is that the, you know, the developer's call? That's, that's the developer's because Rhyme has already stated that the reason why they're charging more is because of development costs and that's their decision to charge more. So it's, it's up to the developer. All right. 
All right, so guys, we have one more topic to cover for this episode. Thank you for rocking with us. We've had a few issues this episode, but let's just go ahead and let's talk about our experience with the Switch console itself. Um, there have been a lot of reports, you know, for technical difficulties and whatnot. Uh, have you personally had any issues uh, be it with your Joy-Con, your frame rate, or, you know, your Wi-Fi? No, um, I haven't had any technical issues. I I think maybe there have been maybe one time uh, Breath of the Wild experienced some sort of minimal slowdown, but I've been playing it the majority of Breath of the Wild on you know, docked. So I haven't experienced any issues, and that's where a lot of people have complained about the frame rate. I have never had the left Joy-Con disconnect and um although i have noticed that the wi-fi range for the switch is very short all right i have actually had a few uh issues um let's uh, let's start with the frame rate issues uh i had a i had gotten to a point in the game and i'm not going to spill this but for me personally this was the zelda moment this is like the most important moment in the game for me personally, because it's that because Breath of the Wild is so different from other Zelda games. There's this one moment that is very traditionally Zelda. And it's the moment that I had been waiting for. And I'm like, I was about 70 hours into the game at this point. This was the moment that I, I could not wait to do. And when I got to it, I docked my switch, you know, had it come out on the TV and walked up to this, to this moment. And the frame rate issues were so bad. And I mean, so bad that it damn near ruined this moment for me. Like it, it completely took me out of the game and I was mad. I was mad because it's, this was the moment that I had waited for in the game and to see it, you know, freeze up and, you know, stutter the way that it did that, that bummed me out. Now I got over it. I got over it because the game, it's an amazing game, but it's something that I'm going to look back at this game, you know, in, you know, 10 years. And I'm going to say that game is brilliant, but, and there's always going to be that, but there for me because of, that moment and that was the only time that i had an issue like that with the frame rate you know in the 105 hours that i played breath of the wild to uh, to the point where i beat it that was the only time where i had any kind of issues with frame rate um with the joy con though i have experienced uh some disconnectivity but i was able to figure out why so when i was playing my switch I was watching a movie on my PlayStation before I decided to start playing my Switch. I didn't turn off my PlayStation. And I noticed that my Joy-Con, my left Joy-Con was acting funny, like Link would start moving on his own or the Joy-Con would disconnect. And it was starting to bother me. I, you know, I put my Switch into sleep mode and then I would restart my Switch. You know, I tried everything except for turning off my PlayStation. When I realized I didn't turn off the PlayStation, 
I turned it off and then the game started working flawlessly. And I'm like, wow, the, the Bluetooth interference from the PS4 was actually affecting my switch. I was like, okay, well, now typically this isn't an issue because most of the time my PS4 is in another room. Uh, just for this, you know, brief moment in time, I had the, the PS4 out in the living room. So it was the only issue I experienced with the Joy-Cons. I haven't had any major disconnects outside of that. And it's not something I'll likely experience again because, you know, my PS4 is typically not in the same room as my Nintendo consoles. But I did have those issues. And it's kind of a bummer because, you know, I, I know that there are a lot of other gamers who, ha who may have a PS4, you know, and may have limited, you know, more limited space than what I currently have. And they want to have all their consoles in the same room. And for them, it could be an issue. Just, guys, solution, just turn off your PS4. If you're not using it, you should turn it off anyway. So that's that's it. I, I've had no other technical uh, difficulties outside of those two things. But I felt like the two that I had were pretty glaring. Like, you know, I don't know what, what other people have experienced as far as, the you know, this. But, you know, you said you, you personally just told us you told all of us that you haven't had any issues and you've dedicated 20 hours into the game that's a pretty significant amount of time so these are isolated incidents that are happening they're, they're not like major like console breaking issues and they're it, it, they're issues nintendo can fix a lot of times even when um new phones come out sometimes there's bugs I'm pretty sure they'll work them out. Yeah, it's it's probably just going to be some kind of like hardware update. Uh, I mean, guys, we're still we haven't even had this console for a month. Like consoles, you know, there, there's a learning curve. Like this is a brand new system. There's going to have to be some kind of, you know, Nintendo's working on it. There's going to be some workarounds. Um, outside of that, I haven't experienced any screen scratching or any like major major issues. No, so that was that is very likely fake news because they uh, asked Reggie, Reggie Phils and me about the issue with the screen being scratched in the dock, and he said, you know, we have done um, so many different shows and presentations with the Switch, we have docked and undocked it hundreds of times, and. And he's like, I, and I went and asked some of the, the the other guys on the team, some of the developers, like, did anybody have this issue? And nobody had that issue. And I don't know anybody who's had that issue personally. And he was like, well, if you do have this issue, contact us directly. Contact Nintendo directly. Don't go through your retailer where you bought the, the Switch from. Contact us and we will help you out and fix the problem. But he's like... Right now, no one has contacted us directly. So he didn't say it was fake news, but he was pretty much heavily implying that that, that is probably fake news. And someone probably just, I don't know, scratched up their screen on purpose or they were really abusing it. And um, I mean, I don't know. But as far as the screen getting scratched, it seems like fake news to me. Well, personally, I have undocked and docked my Switch probably a hundred times already. I, because I typically, when I'm at home, I'll play it as much on the dock as I can. And when I go out, I undock it and I bring it with me. 
I have yet to experience this. Although, I mean, just out of a precaution, I did buy a screen protector for my Switch. I, it's If you have an expensive electronic that you care about, you should do your due diligence in protecting it anyway. But for, for the majority of the first two weeks that we've, you know, we've had the Switch, I didn't have a screen protector. And I've undocked it and docked it. No issues whatsoever. So, you know, if this is happening, I would... I would like to actually get like a real report. You know, I'm glad that Reggie went up there and said what he said, you know, and I'm glad that, you know, he, he is saying that if you do have this issue, contact us directly, you know, we live, you know, the easiest thing to do nowadays is get on Twitter and say, my switch is scratched or get on YouTube and say, look, look at this shit. Look at this shit. My switch is scratched. Easiest thing in the world to do, but to actually, you know, contact Nintendo and say, hey, I'm having a hardware issue. That's, you know, it seems like work to, to people, but if you have a hardware issue and you want your hardware to work, shouldn't you just go ahead and go through the effort of contacting Nintendo? All these like people who are saying otherwise, you know, making these YouTube videos and making these tweets, you know, contact Nintendo, go ahead and li literally contact them and see what the, what the process is, what will Nintendo do? Because I, I'm actually pretty interested in finding out how Nintendo is personally going to handle this. And that being said, this hasn't really even hurt like Nintendo's launch. Like this has been a highly successful launch for Nintendo. And does I just, it almost feels like people are intentionally trying to poo poo it, you know? Yeah. Um, one last topic I want to get into is the uh, parental control app. Um, we've both used it uh, mostly because we wanted to track our playtime. And uh, one thing I was kind of annoyed with was that it doesn't track your playtime retroactively and it doesn't track your playtime when it, when the app is off. Uh, when the app is on, even if you have it on no restrictions, it's still going to restrict your internet. So make sure that, you uh, turn that feature off uh, by attempting to go online and then entering in your code just to make sure that you don't have any issues uh, later. But one thing a lot of people don't realize is that you don't actually need the parental control app to track your playtime. If you go to your profile and you look at the games that you've been playing on the Switch, it'll say play activity and it'll say like, Breath of the Wild, first played four days ago. But once you have had the game for 10 days, it will tell you your playtime. You just have to have the game for 10 days before the playtime shows up. I don't know why Nintendo chose to do it that way. To me, it seems like very bizarre, but the Switch does record your playtime. You just have to have the game for 10 days. Um, I wish there was uh, a feature native to the Switch where you could just look at your playtime for all your games whenever you wanted and just kind of like something that was on the 3DS. But um, you don't need the parental control app to, uh, to, to track that. Yeah. Uh, I personally haven't had as many issues with the parental control app as you have, but I have had a few moments with it where it's like, Every time I try to connect to a Wi-Fi, it is restricted, and I do have to enter that four-digit password. 
Uh, I do like certain things about the app. Uh, you know, it, it was nice to download the app just to see how it works. I think for a parent, it is a really, really useful app, especially if you want to really monitor, you know, your child's playtime and, you know, if, you know, they're doing something, playing some, if they're playing something they shouldn't be playing, you have that ability to lock them out of that. Or if they're playing longer than you want them to be playing, you can stop their play session. There's a lot of cool things about that. Uh, I did notice though, that if you set a limit, like a playtime limit, so on this day, you can only play for this long, you can't alter it afterwards. Once you've set that limit, it is a permanent limit unless you turn those restrictions off. So just for you know shits and giggles, I set my playtime for Fridays to only be 15 minutes. And you know, that was after I had exceeded 15 minutes by like six hours, and it stopped my game. Completely just stopped my game. And the only way to get the game to come back was to turn off that limit. And from then on, I could not alter that 15 minutes. So that's a little bit annoying. That definitely needs to be revised because maybe you want them to only play for half an hour that day, that one time. Or like maybe they've done something that is deserving of extra play time for that specific day. You would have to completely turn off the restriction and to, to allow them extra play time instead of setting an extra play time. It's, it's a little annoyance there, but it, it is something that I did notice. So there is some work that needs to be done with that app to make it a little bit more fully functional. But it, I thought it was a good app for, you know, a concerned parent, maybe not for anyone else, but you're right. I really only did download it because it monitored my playtime because I had installed it on my phone and connected it to my switch at launch that was able to give me an accurate playtime, but for you, it didn't, you know, retroactively do it. So um, I guess it is what it is. Okay, guys. So I think we went ahead and covered a multitude of topics today. I think there was a lot of cool stuff to discuss and it's only, you know, the beginning of week three with the Nintendo switch. So I want to know question of the day. Should Nintendo release some of their mobile titles on the Nintendo Switch? I want to know what you guys think. Clearly, After Party and I have completely different views on this particular subject. Uh, it actually led to a pretty good debate on this episode. So I'm actually looking forward to hearing what you guys have to say. Do mobile games, specifically the ones made by Nintendo, have a place on the Switch? Um, outside of that, you already know where you can hit us up at. Uh, After Party, do you have any closing thoughts for today? Stay fresh. Stay fresh, guys. Deuces.